So I welcome you all. Thank you for being here today. It is a beautiful day. I hope that you all have been enjoying the weekend so far. Um, I know that I was just looking through my phone uh, yesterday, and a picture came up of uh, my trays of seedlings. And so I realized that on this day last year, I started my seedlings. So I'm behind. I haven't done that yet. So that's my plan for the afternoon, is to go and buy some seeds. Hopefully, they're not all sold out. We know that last year, I think everybody took up gardening and sewing and building and all those kinds of things. So all of those things were in um, high demand. So that's my plan for the afternoon, is to go and buy myself some seeds. So I am here this morning, and we are continuing our discussion through Lent um, through a series that we've called He Chose. And so we've been looking at Jesus and the life of Jesus and looking at some of the decisions that he made. What is it that he chose? And you can see behind me, we've got some of these things that we've been talking about. He chose love. He chose healing. He chose forgiveness and reconciliation, and um, we're going to be talking about humility today. But I want to start out this morning by asking a question, um, and I'm wondering, I'm, I'm hoping that pretty much all of us can answer this question in the positive, but how many of you out there have something that you're trying to get better at, something that you feel you need to practice and get better at? Yeah, I do. And I, I was thinking, you know, anybody who says they have nothing that they need to practice and get better at, you're going to need to listen to this message twice as hard, because we're going to talk about that a little bit today. So chances are we all have something that we are trying to get better at, trying to improve. It might be our golf game. I don't play golf, but, you know, somebody, I, I would have a lot of improving to do if I tried to pick up a golf club, but you know, maybe it's a sport that you play, maybe it's cooking or exercise or health or um, any of those things, relationships, communication. We all have something, some area where we can stand to improve and stand to get better at. And so the question becomes, how is it that we get better at something? And so probably the first thing we think of is practice. So we know that we need to practice in order to get better at something. But then it struck me when I was thinking about this, how do we know that we're practicing the right thing? How do we know that we're going down the right track? How do we know that we're doing what it is we need to do to improve what it is we need to improve? You know, how is it that um, if you're playing a sport, you need to make sure you're, you're improving the, the right things? And so, you know, I think I was thinking about it for myself I follow all kinds of, you know, healthy eating and healthy cooking and all those kinds of things online. And there's so many opposing views. I'm sure you've all seen them. You know, this site will tell you, you know, you have to fast for this many hours. This site will tell you you better eat every three hours. You know, this site will tell you you need to do this to exercise your knee. And the other site will tell you, you know, don't, don't do that. You're going to harm yourselves. So we need to make sure when we're trying to improve in any area of our lives that we are practicing the right things, right? Makes sense. And knowing that we don't know everything, um, we start to look in other places. We do our research. And the first thing that I know I do, um, because YouTube is, is such a wonderful resource for just about everything, um, you look up on YouTube and there's going to be a video on how to do whatever it is that you want to do. Or you will look at, maybe you've got a group, a Facebook group, friends, looking to see what it is that I need to do to practice a particular skill. 
But then we need to also look at, you know, is this source reliable? So maybe we go so far as to hire an expert. We take lessons in something. We're going to take a class. So what is it that we need to do if we are practicing to become a better Christian? Where do we go when we are looking to improve our walk with God, to improve our spiritual life? Um, I know that for me anyway, my eternity, my salvation is something that's too precious to trust to a YouTube video. So I know that there's someplace else I need to go, something else that I need to do. And thankfully, we have Jesus. We have the presence of Jesus to teach us what it is that we need to learn, the skills we need to practice to become better and deeper and stronger Christians. As I was listening to the songs this morning, um, we were singing the song, Good, Good Father, and it really struck me because it says, you know, you're a good father, perfect in all your ways. I see many searching for answers far and wide, but I know we're all searching for answers only you can provide. So when we're looking to practice the skills we need to become a better Christian, we have the example of Jesus Christ to follow, which is what we've been looking at over these weeks of Lent. And we're so grateful that we have a good, good father who we were so important to and who loves us so much that he sent his son, God incarnate, onto this world to enter into our lives to give us an example to follow. Now, we know that in the Old Testament we had the Ten Commandments. We still have them today. They were, um, you know, a list of rules. And I was thinking about the fact that um, with all the online learning that we've been doing over this past year, we know that there's power in somebody showing us what to do. You know, don't just tell me, show me. And so God told us in the Ten Commandments, and that worked pretty well for a period of time, but it wasn't quite enough. Just like online learning isn't quite enough, we needed somebody to show us. And so Jesus came, like I said, entered into our lives to show us exactly what it was. He gave us a model to follow, um, somebody to to look at, to learn from. And we know that Jesus taught us many different things during his time, his ministry here. He taught us about love, and he taught us about forgiveness, and he taught us about obedience. But what I want to talk about this morning is that he also taught us about humility. Because one of the things that Jesus chose to do was that Jesus chose to be humble. And so the scripture we're looking at this morning, if you have a Bible app that you are following along with, um, is Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to be reading from the ESV or the English Standard Version. So if you have a different one, it might be a little different, but we are looking at Philippians 2, and I will read verses 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count yourselves, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, 
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so we're talking about this concept of humility. And when we think of humility, it may be that it has a bit of a negative connotation to us. It doesn't always feel like humility or being humble um, is a positive word. I know when I think of it, the first thing that comes to my mind is being humiliated. And so there can be some, some little negative connotations that are attached to this word humility. But even if we can see that this day, in this day and age, we know that in the ancient days it was even more so. It was a word that was not looked upon as something people were striving to be. People didn't strive to be humble. I came across a quote by John Wesley, and he said, neither the Romans nor the Greeks had a word for humility. The concept of being humble was so foreign and so abhorrent to the people of this time that it wasn't even a word that was in their vocabulary because they really looked at humility as a groveling, as being so low to the ground that they just held the concept in complete contempt. And so it's important as we're looking at Paul's message today to remember that because the message that he is sending to these people in Philippi is completely counterculture. It is not something that they would have been striving towards naturally because it was just the whole concept of being low, of being in poverty, of, of being low in spirit was completely um, contrary to the way they believed. So this, was, this message was something that they would not have expected. And so Paul is writing to this church in Philippi, and he's probably writing from prison. There's a little bit of debate as to exactly the timing or exactly where he happened to be, but he was probably in prison writing this letter. And he had started this church in Philippi some years prior. We can read about it in Acts, so like the latter part of Acts 15 and the beginning of Acts 16, I believe tells us about how Paul started this church in Philippi. And I want us to remember that when we talk about a church being started, it wasn't that he went and he built a building. You know, a lot of times when we think of church these days, we're thinking about the building, that, you know, a letter was delivered to a building in which there were a group of people. That's not the way the early church was, right? The early church was groups of people that met together to worship God. So it wasn't a building, it was groups of people. And what was happening in Philippi was that these people were feeling a sense of disunity. They were disconnected. They weren't working well together. And this is one of the issues that Paul is addressing in this letter. And we know that we can all feel that today. You know, the world isn't so different. We can often feel disconnected. We can feel that we're on a different page from the people we're with might be in our family, might be with a spouse, might be in a job or a team that you're part of, this feeling of being disconnected, this feeling of not being unified, and things aren't going so well when we are like that. 
When we are not working together, things just kind of start to fall apart. And this is what's happening in Philippi. And Paul suggests that part of the reason that this is happening is because of their pride. And if we think about it, pride, thinking of ourselves better than other people, is going to naturally just separate us from each other. And it even separates us from God, right? Because it's pride that tells us to take control of our own lives. It's pride that tells us we know what's best for ourselves. It's pride that tells us we don't really need to listen to what you know, God is telling us. We know better. We know what we want to do, and we're just going to do it. And we think about even just original, the original sin, right, in the Garden of Eden. What was it that caused that? What was it that caused that disobedience and that eating of that fruit? Well, it was a sense of pride. We know better. We don't have to listen to what God is telling us. We don't have to listen to the fact that he told us not to eat this fruit. We know better. We know what we need to do for ourselves. And so it was pride that started all of it. It kind of tends to be at the root of so much of what we do when we are sinning, when we are missing the mark, when we are just not behaving in a way that is glorifying to God. A lot of times the root is pride. And, you know, we say that pride goes before the fall, and that comes right from uh, Proverbs. Proverbs 16 says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so pride is often that underlying thing that leads to so many other sins, so, many, so much disunity, so much discord in our lives. And we know, you know, we, can, we might not see the pride in ourselves, but we can certainly recognize it in other people, right? Isn't that so often the truth? We can see faults in others before we see faults in ourselves. And nobody really likes a proud or an arrogant person. They're not really fun to be around. They don't, they don't bring a sense of community to anything. It just it feels so disconnected when somebody is setting themselves apart from everybody else. But we know that we can also get there ourselves. We might be shooting for humility. We might be shooting for something better. But somehow, over time, we start to kind of fall a little bit and a little bit more. And we find ourselves in this position of pride and of um, arrogance, that kind of personality that, you know, people just don't really want to be around us. And so those behaviors and those attitudes start to divide us. So when we look at this letter from Paul, we see that he kind of gives us a little bit of an outline. He, he gives us the why, the how, and the what of being humble. So that's what I want to take a look at today. The first question is why? Why should we be humble? Why do we need to adopt this attitude of humility? And he really starts out in verse uh, 1 of this chapter. He says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, dot, 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 if there is. And the interesting thing in the Bible is that when you read the words, if there is, it's not really a conditional statement. It's not really a question. Paul isn't really wondering, you know, do you people have any of these things? You can replace those words with since. Since. So since you are in Christ, since you have Christ's love, since you all have the Holy Spirit, since you have the grace of God, you need to be humble. So it's not if. It's since you already have these things. Since you all have grace, 
you need to be humble, and you need to be unified. Grace has been given to you, and therefore you need to offer grace to other people, something that I've hopefully instilled in my children. You know, you've been given much grace, so you need to extend grace to other people in your lives. It's really important. And so we think of it in our own lives, and we know that we sin. You know, nobody really likes to say it. Nobody really likes to talk about it. But sin is simply missing the mark. We're all sinners. We all sin, and yet God invites us back into him, into his presence with open arms. Every single time, doesn't matter how many times, doesn't matter what we've done, doesn't matter how far we have wandered, God loves us unconditionally. The minute we turn back to him, his arms are opened. He offers us grace and mercy. And so who are we to deny that grace and mercy to other people in our lives? And so because we have been given grace, we need to offer grace to others. Because we have been given grace, we need to be humble. And so the next question becomes, um, how? We all want to know how. How is it that we practice humility? How is it that we need to get, uh, that we get better in our Christian walk and being more humble? And Paul tells us three things in this letter to the Philippians. First thing he tells us is do nothing from selfish ambition. Do nothing from selfish ambition. We know that whenever we start on something, there is a danger of forgetting what our mission is, of forgetting what our purpose is. As we get further into whatever it is we're working on, we can start making the I in the situation more important than the mission that we started off with. You know, it's human nature, really, to try to elevate ourselves. It's what we do. We try to make ourselves you know, um, elevated, get better. We know that it's kind of a, I don't know, an American ideal. You know, you work hard and you get. You know, you give this, you work hard and you get uh, a higher position. You get the corner office. You get the letters behind your name in a, you know, in a degree. And so there is this sense of selfish ambition, trying to raise ourselves up and we can lose sight of the mission. We can lose sight of what and why we are doing something. So I was listening to a podcast, and if you know me, um, you know that I like to listen to podcasts because they allow me to multitask, um, which isn't always a great thing, but you know, when I'm getting ready for work or driving to school in the morning, um, listening to a podcast is just a wonderful thing to do. And so I was listening to a podcast this week about leadership, um, and it was partially about church leadership, but really all about leadership in general, leadership in companies, leadership in churches. And one of the individuals that was being interviewed during this podcast was a gentleman named Chris Hisleep. Now, probably isn't a name that means much to you. The name, I, I had no idea who it was. But as they tell the story, this gentleman, Chris, when he was in college, happened to uh, come across either a magazine article or something that told him that for people who do uh, startup companies, people who do startups, that on average, people will start 19 companies before they hit upon the one that actually works and takes off. So this college kid said, I better get moving. I better get busy. If I'm going to have to go through 19 failures in order to get the one that works, I better start. And so he started. And he started up all these different little companies, and one after another, they failed, they failed, they failed. He got to 14 companies, 
that he had started and that had failed. And he got to that point and he said, you know, I've done 14. They say 19. I have no, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can keep going on to these more companies because I've suffered failure 14 times so far. And then he prayed on it and he got a message from God. And, and what he heard was that the companies he had started were all being started out of selfish pride. He was thinking about what he wanted, what he wanted to do, what was going to benefit him. And 14 times these failed. And so instead of doing and starting companies out of selfish ambition, he decided to start looking around and seeing what is it that I can do that would benefit other people? What is it that I can do that will be of service to other people? And so he started a company called PushPay. And PushPay is a company that's being used in churches for online giving, for church finances. And it was something that was geared towards helping the churches. He looked around and said, this is something that is needed. This is what I'm going to do. And I don't remember the exact numbers, but it took off hugely in four years from like a million to 400 million or something like that. Um, it was huge because he was looking not at what he himself wanted or needed. He started looking at what was needed in the world around him. How could he serve? So do nothing out of selfish ambition if you want to practice humility. And then the next thing that Paul tells us is to count others more significant than yourselves. And that's where I, I get back to what I said at the, more, at the beginning of the service is that, you know, if we think we know everything, if we think we have no place to improve, when we start to think of ourselves as the smartest person in the room, we're in trouble. You know, pride is rising and humility is going out the door. When we start to think of ourselves as having nothing more to learn, we start closing out the opportunities to learn, the opportunities of learning something from people around us. I was, um, as I was preparing this message, I was trying to think of personal examples. And, you know, nobody really likes to admit that they're prideful, even though we all are at different times of our lives. Nobody likes to admit that. But it did occur to me one thing that I can share. So in full disclosure, um, I do work at a school. I work at an elementary school. And at the beginning of this year, there were some younger, newly graduated people who were added to our school, to our team. And um, myself and probably a few others, but I'll speak for myself, we started to get a little prideful. Like, what do these new people know? Yeah, they have a degree, but they're not parents. They're 25 years old. They've never worked in the school before. We know how to do it. Why should we listen or take into account anything that they have to say? And there was a rift that started happening in my school between people because people felt that they were better, they were prideful, they were arrogant, they thought of themselves ahead of others, and felt that these other people had nothing to offer, nothing to share. And so we became closed off. I became closed off. And then I realized it. And I realized this is not what I am meant to do. I am meant to learn from people. And what a shame it is when new people come into an organization, a team, a church, whatever it happens to be, younger people, people who haven't had a lot of experience yet, and we immediately just cut them off. I've been here longer, I know better, I know what I'm talking about. Imagine the innovation and the energy that we're missing. Imagine all that we lose 
when we start to think of ourselves as better than everybody else and not listen to all that other people have to teach us. So anybody who has kids knows that even kids have something new to teach us every single day. I'm still learning from my children. And so we're told, do not count yourself more significant than others because that causes disunity. That is prideful. It is not practicing humility. And we miss out on so many wonderful things. And then the third thing that Paul says is look to the interests of others. Now, I happen to think that this is one of the biggest problems in the world today is the fact that people, myself included, we have a tendency to have a bit of a tunnel vision, right? When we're looking at only our own interests, that means that there's a whole lot of people that we're just leaving behind. When we start to look at life as a competition, when we start to look at life as a competition with a prize at the end that we need to get above and before everybody else, there's a whole group of people that we are simply ignoring. And I was giving the example of, you know, when you're driving, you know, so many, the, the best qualities in people come out when you're driving, right? So, um, you know, thinking about driving and you're, you're trying to get out into traffic and nobody's letting you by and car after car after car and nobody's stopping um, because, you know, they're not purposely trying to be mean. They're not purposely trying to be nasty. At least I hope not, right? Try to believe the best in people. But we're all so concentrated on exactly where we need to go and exactly what we need to do. We're so focused on our own lives that we have no concept of what's going on around us. We have no concept of what other people need. And I really feel if you go through your week this week and think about that and look around you and see how many people throw trash on the ground because they're not thinking of what's going to happen next, who's going to have to come and pick it up. Um, it's amazing. I just, I really think that's one of the problems is that we look to ourselves instead of looking to the interests of others and we end up just ignoring so many people because we are thinking only of ourselves. And it's, it's interesting, you know, you often will be talking to people and they'll be saying something like, well, what if, what if people are looking at me? What if people are talking about me? What are they saying behind my back? And really the truth of the matter is that more often than not, they're not thinking about you. They're not looking at you because they're just thinking about themselves. They're just thinking about what they have to do and, and what's on their mind. You know, it's, it just, just came to me, one of the things we do in school, I learned this back in sixth grade um, when the teacher was talking. I was in a Catholic school, so Sister Gertrude Elizabeth. And when she was talking and kids raised their hands, she would say, put your hand down until I'm finished talking because as long as you have your hand raised, you're thinking about what you have to say. You're not thinking about what I'm saying. You need to think and to look at others and to not be just thinking about yourselves. Um, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes this, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. In fact, he will not be thinking of himself at all. So this is a message to us. Think more of other people 
think less of ourselves. And so we get back to the beginning. What is it? What is the example that we are meant to follow? Jesus came and gave us a perfect example, showed us exactly how to live our lives in the best way possible. And so we turn to him when we look to find out what is it that we need to practice? What is it that we need to learn to do better? And it's not all words, right? He actually came and he told us, he showed us. Not just told us, he showed us. In verse 5 it says, have the mind of Christ Jesus. He's the expert. Follow him. And so what does Paul tell us that he did? He's very, he tells us exactly what he did. He says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped. Jesus practiced humility because though he was fully God, and the word here for being in the form of God, the word is morph, and it means that essential being which cannot be changed. So he was truly fully divine and fully human. So though he was in form God, he did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. He didn't feel the need to hold on to, to grasp at those powers, those godly powers that he had every right that he had already, but he didn't feel that that was something he needed to do because he was showing us humility. He emptied himself and became a servant. He didn't come to exalt himself. He didn't come to exercise power over people, not over the, uh, the Jewish people, not over the Roman people. He didn't come to exercise power over people, to exalt himself. He came to be a servant. He came to serve. And then it says, that he humbled himself even to death on a cross. Now we know that in ancient days, crucifixion was the lowest form of, of being um, executed. That Roman citizens couldn't be crucified because it was so low. It was saved for the lowest, the lowest of the low, uh, of the lowest of the low people who were um, being, being killed. That was crucifixion for them. And so Jesus lowered himself even to that is a quote by uh, Charles Spurgeon, who's a theologian back in the mid-1800s, and he speaks of this whole idea of, of Jesus lowering himself to death on a cross. And he says, the lower he stoops to save us, the higher we ought to lift him in our adoring reverence. Blessed be his name. He stoops and he stoops and he stoops. And when he reaches our level, when he becomes man, he still stoops and stoops and stoops lower and deeper yet. Christ humbled himself to the point of death on a cross to show us what it means to be humble, to give us a living example. And the good news, that is at the end of this reading, you know, as a result of this, Jesus is exalted by the Father. He's given the name above all names. He is the master and the owner of all life. He is the Lord of lords. And every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And so when we think about all of this in our own lives, we think about the aim and the purpose of God. What is God's purpose for humanity? What is God's aim for us as human beings? And it's that we should come to him. It's that we should glorify his name, not ourselves, but his name. And there were some in the Philippian church and those of us here today who were glorifying themselves. They were being prideful, they were not being humble, and because of that, there was a disunity, there was a split among people. And so in this letter that he writes, he's really encouraging them and encouraging us to have the mind of Christ Jesus. 
And he's telling them, he's reminding them to practice humility. And so for us, since we are followers of Jesus and we want to practice and we want to be continually working on our spiritual walk and our relationship with the Lord, we need to do the same thing. We need to work on not thinking of ourselves so much. We need to think of not doing things out of selfish ambition, but rather to look to the good of other people, to look to serve other people instead of looking to what we can always get for ourselves. Because Jesus gave us this perfect, beautiful example of what it means to be humble. And he did that through his life, and he did that even through his death. He fully humbled himself even as he came into this world, as he became into our existence, into our humanity, so that he could show us the way, so that he could learn and love us and just be there for us as a living, breathing example of God the Father, of what God wants for each and every one of us. And so let's think about that this week. Do we glorify God in the things that we do? Do we think of others before we think of ourselves? Do we make sure that we are doing things for the goodness of other people and not just for our own ambition? Um, and are we working to bring about unity in every place that we are, in every environment that we happen to find ourselves? Are we working towards unity or are we working towards our own exaltation? We need to be working towards unity, towards humility that brings about this unity. And then in 1 Peter 5, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Because Jesus us, promises us that when we can humble ourselves, we will in time be exalted. We won't be exalting ourselves. We won't be lifting ourselves up. Neither did Jesus. He didn't lift himself up. He was exalted by the Father. And that's what will be for us, because he promises to lift everybody up who brings themselves low, who looks to Christ and seeks to lift up other people instead of always lifting up ourselves. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your presence in our world. We thank you that you humbled yourself to enter into our existence, that you came to give us the perfect example representing the Father and his will for our lives. Help us to look to you when we know we need to practice, when we know we need to improve in our Christian walk, help us to look to the perfect example, which is you. Help us to look to others before ourselves and help us to be less focused on our own needs and our own desires, but rather look to the people around us because that is the essence of what you want for us, Lord, to love you and to love others. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.